I'm sitting here in my living room with Tony Springer, Wealthy in the Spirit. How are you? I'm fine, man. Pretty good, pretty good. Beautiful day out. Just woke up a couple hours ago. What time is it? <laughs> quarter to two, quarter to three. <laughs> I lived a life, Marco. I lived a life. So tell me about that life. You, you just... That life, I've done it for so many years. I just going to bed. First of all, disregard time. I mean, if I got important stuff to do in right. the day and stuff, like early, let's say 10, 11 in the morning, I would, I'm totally into it. I wouldn't get up dragging going, I got to do this and go, go do what I got to do in half, half ass. I'd do it 120%. But if I don't got none to do, music, 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 and just stay up all night because I, I find the nighttime is more peaceful for me. Okay, so when was the last time you actually slept during the nighttime? During the nighttime? Okay, let me see. Because uh, you just told me you wake I, up at, you go to sleep at 7 a.m. 7 is, is the, the real bottom line, and it can be any time after 7, but 7 at 1, if I'm just hanging, probably hanging, probably watching a movie, twiddling my thumbs or doing nothing or chilling, 7 is the time. Unless it's very rare that I'm just chilling. How long, how long has it been, been music. that you've... Your night, your your bedtime is seven a.m. Yeah, seven. I get like till two, three. That's it. Some yeah, and then I mean, uh, I've learned. You know, they say you're supposed to get eight hours sleep and stuff. I've defied that shit for long, <laughs> many, many years, man. I've, 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 I've you know, just four. I'm fucking. I'm happy. I'm fine. <laughs> I'm up and and really functioning and stuff. But the last time I went to bed early was uh, we went out west last. August long weekend, right. when, and this, this when we when we got early flights and yeah, then we yeah, go to yeah. Europe and stuff, and it's like I gotta go to bed like ten. I'm going, what the hell, well, man? I mean, that must be weird for you. To you go know, to bed at 10 well, you know, the, you know the thing that it really doesn't bug me. First of all, I don't go, I don't, I don't tell my brain because the brain is a, the thing. You don't tell your brain, man, I gotta go to sleep and it's gonna be tough. No, I'm going. That's what I. That my, this is what it is. I know how to light, chill, and relax my body. And so if I go to bed at 10, I, if, if we have a flight at like 6 in the morning, mm-hmm. I go to bed. I wouldn't even go, not 10. I'd go like <laughs> 1-ish, 1-ish to, and meditate. Try I don't to know relax why. If my body. If it's 6 in the morning, that's before your bedtime. You yeah, I know. You will stay There's up. There's been many times I've stayed up and go and, and then go perform and people go, wow, we got all this energy. I had no sleep, but I've, I've tapped into something many years ago of when you, you're consciously tired or you think you're consciously drained, mm-hmm. you can tap into your subconscious, which is never drained. It's always working 150% all the time. It knows everything. So people that, uh, anytime I tap into that, and that's what I was telling you earlier, that I play music, I decided to tap into it and play music as long as I wanted. Let me just stay up. If I'm sleepy, I'd sleep. I'm, this is what I'm telling my brain. If I'm hungry, I'd eat. And I did this thing for three, I did it a few times, but the first time was miraculous. Three days in a row, three days stress trade, just music, music, music. Nighttime, daytime, nighttime I put on headphones. Daytime I wasn't making too much noise, going bang, bang, and, and loud. It's still kind of, but music, just immersed in music. And I remember after two or two days, almost two and a half, about three o'clock in the morning, one in the morning, I told myself, you know, yeah, I'm feeling a little... Let me take a break. <laughs> I wasn't even eating. I mean, you know, I was just in the zone. Wow. It's tough, you know, just maybe stop and just chew yeah. a little thing, but it wasn't like sit down and have a meal. And I remember about two two days in, three o'clock in the morning, I just thought, let me take a break, take off the headphones, go sit in my bedroom now, because my studio's in my living room. Sit in the bedroom. I'm sitting on the bed. There's an acoustic guitar on the bed. I just picked up this acoustic guitar and a whole song. Music and lyrics came to me. <laughs> no, no shit, man. And that's, this is, these are the things when you tap into that kind of energy, miraculous, well, st- stuff that's out of, the, out of sight comes, happens. And mm-hmm. I wrote this song and it wasn't just a cheesy, I love you. I lo-. It was just a deep thing. I, I remember going, what the hell? I was really, you know, moved. And then I went, yeah, baby, this is what happens. And you got to keep calm. You don't want to disturb and go, what the hell? This is wow. wow. I just, inside, I'm like that. I'm going, yeah, just let it flow, baby. Yeah. And well, oftentimes, what, I hear musicians, two things that songwriters have told me. One is that oftentimes the best songs just come out of them. They don't work exactly. over and over. Like It doesn't take them six months to write a, a really good song. Sometimes mm-hmm. it just comes out. And the other thing that I hear is that 
sometimes it feels like you're just kind of channeling yourself so that the music just comes through you and it's not something that you consciously do or whatever. For whatever reason, you're sitting there with the instrument and it just comes through you. And I just find that concept it so really amazing. It's fascinating and it's true. I mean, I'm, I've been a songwriter. I've been a songwriter since I've been four or five years old. Well, can we start with that? Like, can we talk yeah. about how you got into music? And uh, you, you're from Trinidad, Trinidad Tobago. Yeah. And yeah. tell me about, um, before we go into how you got into music, tell me about growing up in Trinidad. Well, the first thing I, I, I noticed growing up in Trinidad, I mean, everybody, there's music in the air, all constantly and literally. Uh, where we lived, there was a steel drum, steel band side, you know, steel drums, right, right on the, this, the other block. And this, this is loud stuff. You, you hear it for miles, mm -hmm. right? So I grew up with that. I was born like two years into my life. I realized there's this music happening. By the time I was four, five, I was checking that stuff out. It, it would, I would go to sleep at seven or eight in the morning, in the evening. Not in the morning. <laughs> That's what <laughs> that happened. happened later. I made a big twist to turn around. <laughs> but seven or eight at night, and I'm four or five years old, and this music playing this loud steel drum music and I remember lying down just taking the stuff in and just go to sleep finally just peacefully with music so that was one thing then the thing in Trinidad is like I think everybody was born with you come out you come out was born with steel drum sticks everybody's got <laughs> rhythm right. rhythm 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 you know and I wasn't that aware of it until I came to Canada I started finding myself musically I got this rhythm or nothing. I'm never scared. I can do stuff with rhythm. I can mess, mess around. But anyway, in Trinidad, I remember me and my brother, he, he, uh, we, we, there's carnival, like Mardi Gras. Mm -hmm. And at six years old, we went, of course, your parents take you to, to the downtown to see all the bands and there's hundreds of bands and music, music. And one of the things that used to happen was bands would be going opposite each other on the street. But these bands are like 200 strong and musicians right. and then four or five hundred people dancing with the bands right and one of the things that used to happen was the bands would go up, up going against each other and when the rhythm sections reach parallel to each other the bands would stop because they're constantly moving right yeah, when you're yeah. dancing the bands would stop and this rhythm section would try to throw this other one off because <laughs> they're playing different songs right? right and playing different different rhythms and you got to concentrate because all you're hearing is, th you, you're playing your stuff, but you're hearing their stuff, and they're trying to drown you out. And sometimes the other band might get a little weak and break down and stop. And then the whole, all the, the spectators go, ah! So I remember the first time we, me and my brother witnessed that. We went home that night, and we were playing. We were, I was going, you're this, a band, and I'm a band. And we, boom, 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 making up songs, and then trying to drown out each other. And, we, and that was a little test of rhythm with, wow. with us, you know, as, as kids, you know, kids growing up, you know, you run, you play, you fight, play and stuff. That was a thing we used to do all the time. Just make up a song and be a band and don't get thrown off. So <laughs> that's, that was a beautiful lesson, man. So that happened. And the other thing with my music life in Trinidad, my whole family, my, I had seven aunts, my dad and, and his brother and they, my, they had seven aunts. My great aunts taught piano lessons. Oh, okay. To the people from all over the island would come to the Springers for piano lessons. So once you're a Springer, you get initialized. You, your piano lessons are free, <laughs> and you have to take piano lessons. So uh, when we came of age, I think about 11, 10, 11, it's like, okay, time to go for piano lessons. Meanwhile, we discovered soccer. Mm. and playing around and stuff. But we went for the piano lessons. The first lesson was my aunt is standing over, great aunt standing with a, a ruler, horizontal. <laughs> and just anytime you make a mistake, and this is the first lesson. She wouldn't even go, okay, try, let's see how the fingers, nope. As soon as you make a mistake, whack on you. <laughs> it was really painful and we took it. And me and my brother, the next day, we went to play soccer instead and, and of course we came up my my mom and dad how was the piano it was great yeah <laughs> of course the great aunts told them we never showed up yeah, so yeah. We, they knew we were lying and they let us they let it slide <laughs> you know they went yeah tony and my brother's name is jimmy tony and jimmy they're not they're not into piano 
my great aunt, about two or three years after this piano thing, there was a guy going around the island teaching guitar. And he was coming to our place, the, the piano people, my great aunts, for like a month. And she goes, Tony, you want to take guitar lessons? And I'm like, sure. I didn't even know. Nothing, right? I just thought, yeah, sure. I mean, was there any connection to guitar music or no. guitarist at all? Okay. You know what, Marco? At that time, I was a kid. When since I was like five, six, seven years old, I'm no, I remember hearing everybody goes, any musical instrument come around. Hey, give it to Tony. He, I just could make it make sounds out of stuff. Mm -hmm. Give me a mouth organ, harmonica. We used to call it mouth organ. Some mouth organ come around. Give it to Tony. I go, Ooh, I can make music. Mm -hmm. There was everything was a flute. Anything you had to blow. <laughs> Later I realized it's a recorder. Somebody had a recorder. They go, hey, he's got a flute. Give it to Tony. I started playing the flute, and everybody used to go, wow. So I was there was a the first string instrument I played was quattro, ukulele. Oh, okay. Because we're so close to, to, to Venezuela, they call it quattro. It's got four strings, uno, dos, tres, quattro, right? So I, I got a quattro and went, hey, I can play this stuff. So by the time I went to the, the guitar lesson, my dad's friend lent me a guitar. And this guitar was just, I don't, now that I look back, it, this, the action was about a, an inch high. <laughs> And just, it was hard, but I'm going, I got a guitar, man. So I go for the guitar lesson. The first guitar lesson is like 10 people in the class. And the, the teacher is going, okay, I'm going to show you guys. Open C, and he showed, ding, 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 G, and D, I think, these three chords. And I went, oh. First of all, I, I figured out the quattro. And I went, the open C is just an extension. You just use the other finger, and you make this big chord. So that was the first lesson. I went home that night. This was a Monday. The next lesson was Wednesday. Monday night I went home and I found C, not just open, all over the guitar. And, and in, sometimes with three, three strings and just boom, 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 octave up all over the guitar. And they went, wow. So I'm blowing my, my mind already. Like I can't wait to go back to the other class. And I went to the other class and he goes, okay, class, play that open C. And everybody's like, uh, I'm on the back of the class going, what position do you want it, man? This one? Uh, I start playing all over the, the neck of the guitar. <laughs> so were you attracted to the guitar immediately? Yeah, after that happened, Marco, I just, I, I, I just figured out a new phase in my life that I can analyze everything's right there on the, on the fretboard. You just got to figure out your finger in and remember it and practice it. So that happened next, and I went, after that Wednesday, I went to my great aunt, and I went, save your money, I'm good, baby, I'm good. <laughs> I know, of course, I didn't call my great aunt baby, but, <laughs> but I, that was the only guitar lesson I had, and from then, I decided to just practice and figure out stuff, I figured out stuff on my own. Okay, so figuring out stuff on your own, like musically, what would you have been listening to that you would have wanted to figure out? Well, first of all, as I said, there's music in there. There's less of Calypso mm -hmm. music. Calypso, I figured out that Calypso was, even back then, Calypso was more like jazz because it's fast mm -hmm. and there's lots of changes and chords. Like ticking, 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 and stuff. And I, just, I was just really good at figuring this stuff out quickly. But to do it quickly, you have to do it slowly. Mm -hmm. You can't just get in and go. I mean, so I figured out everything was slow and then get accustomed to it and, and speed it up. And then, as, and then when I got older, I started hearing reggae music. And I thought reggae was all... They ain't going anywhere from there. <laughs> I used to go, wow, these guys are just in the pocket, man. So I kind of checked that out and thought, I, that's... I, I'm too lazy to remember all this shit, man. Like chords and a whole bunch of shit. But I can do it. I did it for a while. And then I heard a one first time in my life, I heard a blues song. We had a party, a Springer's party. And I was kind of, it was, now we were older. We were teenagers and we had this, and the DJ played this song. Went, what the hell is that stuff? He goes, that's blues, man. It was Eric Burden singing a song called Tobacco Road. Oh, okay. Remember? And it's not 12 bar blues, but it was ding, 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 ding. And I, I never, everything I said was like, funky, sliding family, James Brown and stuff. But I heard this sound. I went, what? He goes, that's the blues, man. So I kind of started, that was the only time I ever heard a blues song till I came to Canada. 
But when I heard it made an impression, man, it's kind of like reggae, man. It's slow and laid back, right? So yeah. I got the best of both worlds with that. I, I started going Calypso. I'm really good and quick at, at moving with chords. I, so that's how I got into all that different diversity. Then I joined a couple. Then actually I, I decided I started arranging for a steel band. I was like 16. <laughs> I, I was like, the, you know, everybody's, everybody had arranged for a steel band. They're like 40, 50 and experience. I just started playing guitar and I went, I can do this, man. I started arranging for a steel band. Okay, so at this point you're 16. You're arranging steel band music. Mm, yeah. What did music mean to you? Oh, it meant I was basking in it. I, arranging for this band, music is in my head all the time. I'm thinking, what can I do? You know, and it was just constantly there. I'm eating, I'm thinking music, Any, I'm walking, anywhere I go, it's just this music and what I wanted to do. But I've been like that since I was like eight years old. My dad used to come pick me up at school and he would take, he'd go out to his buddy's friend's place for like two hours and they'd drink. Sometimes he had cool, different, and every, every day was different friends. He had friends who had fish, fishes, uh, like aquariums. And when he had guys with fishes, I'd go and check the fish out while they're drinking, right? Mm -hmm. And go check the fish. And then I became a fishmonger too because I got fish from these friends. And I had a big uh, ponds outside. People would come buy fish. And, that, and then he had other friends that I went, ah, it's nothing in the house. They're just drinking. I would stay in the car for two hours and make up songs in my head. Just sing. That's how I pass the time. Just going, and I can't wait to go home with my guitar now and just try stuff out. So I was always music. It's even today. It's still in my head. I can make up stuff just like that. It's, now, are you thinking that music would be your future at this point, or are you not even thinking? You know about what? It? That's the weird thing. I was, it's I've never considered it a career because Trinidad is like not really. You just do music because everybody's musical and there's so much. Right. outlets for it and he just did, did it so I never thought I felt the joy and satisfaction and I went this thing is it's almost like therapy it's, even now it's therapeutic because the, the one thing of knowing that you can make up songs or you can just bask in it and, and entertain yourself after a while in the, in the later years I started realizing that it really is I, I can I feel like a little child every time I pick up a guitar I can play something I've never ever played before. And it was always like that? I mean, was there ever a point where you thought that, that you lost that connection with music? You know what, man? Nah. <laughs> nah. It's never, and you know, the other good thing is it's a continuous thing. One thing leads to another, and they all, it's like a chain reaction. You know, after the, the steel band thing, arranging for the steel band, it was great. Another venture came around. Uh, I played with bands in Trinidad, Calypso bands and mm -hmm. stuff. Then my dad died and we had this house. He left us, me and my brother, with this house. And I just, this, we got equipment. My brother was into soccer at the time. I got musical equipment and this was our, I had friends come over, musicians and non-musicians, and we just jammed from 10 in the morning till 10 at night. No songs. Is no, we just come and just start playing. Somebody start something. And, and, and once again, are we still talking Calypso music and reggae? Or nope, are we talking? Not, not, nope. I couldn't stand Calypso. Okay, I so just went, no, I went anti Calypso. I just went, this is too crazy and it's, it's too formulated. You have to, they wouldn't accept it unless it's like that. I, I wrote a couple of Calypso sounding songs, right. but not more with groove. But the jamming would have been what kind of music? Stone music, man. <laughs> we just get high. we're high all day. The the the, the 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 pattern in life is: wake up in the morning. There's you, you didn't have like a schedule. Okay, after breakfast, ain't like up here. You know, you wake up in the morning, you go pick some mangoes, you have fruit. You want breakfast? Is fruit right outside, man? All around, and we eat that, and just everybody kind of convulge in, in the house. And outside, there's the outside. The windows are open. People just hanging out, smoking from in the morning. And we just somebody's. It was always whoever gets there first might be working on the bass drum. I go doom, boom, boom, ding, ding, doom, 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 I'd come in, start playing. He'd stay there, and 
and drummers and we just start a groove that would go on and we'll get into it and get it was one thing of getting into it and not not shifting and then after about hours that doom 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 I go to the boom you know but the end and, and it would go on and on in the same key and then it would change tempo it would be and go wherever the hell we wanted okay but the end mean wasn't to write a song it was just a jam we were just basking in freedom and making noise I don't even know how it things I used to learn from that was like there was always guys hanging around Right, it'd be outside on the window hanging. Some, none of them are mu- musical, but as I say, everybody in Trinidad has got rhythm. So I remember many times, like the bass player, I go at, at you know one o'clock. He go, man, I got to go eat lunch. This is when lunch is the big thing in Trinidad. Everybody right. has lunch. There's no <laughs> breakfast or dinner. <laughs> lunch and the bass player, I go, okay, one or two. I got to go to my mother's and eat and. Don't stop the groove, man. The groove is still going on, whatever we're playing. And I'd go, hey, just... And he'd, he'd tell somebody who's hanging, hey, just come hold, hold, hold down, hold the bass for me. Somebody who never played bass. <laughs> I used to be amazed at what I used to see because music, I was the one going really more, more aware of all the things. Everybody else was just there doing what they do. I was kind of learning and growing. And, so, and somebody would come and hold the bass, never played bass in their life. How did you find up, find your way to Canada? Well, what happened? Then I started getting really intellectual and told myself, I want to study music. Because I realized I had something special that was just driving me to learn and learn and grow. So I applied to, I sent application forms to the Royal Conservatory of Music mm-hmm. to come. And this, this is when I was doing the steel, actually within that period. And I was playing with some other bands. And every time they replied, and I had to like, fill out the forms, and maybe come to Canada for, I don't know how long, be a student, something really musically and monetary would happen. And I'd go, you know what? I'm going to stay here and make money in Trinidad. It happened twice. The third time I did the same thing. The second time I applied, and then the replied, and it was happening. And I went, no, I'm going to stay and have this other adventure. The third time, Marco, it happened. And I, this time I went, let me just go. Because the same thing was happening. I'm getting in all these really gigs and stuff is good back on making money and stuff as a kid. And I thought, let me just go. I went to Canada for three weeks and the plan was go and check the, the thing. I, I really wasn't going to the, I didn't come for the Royal Conservatory. I thought, let me go talk to somebody. and see. So I came up here for three weeks and I never, I never went. I ended up hooking up with these West Indian bands playing funk and stuff in these clubs. This was like in the early 80s, right? And so you I, came here because of the possibility of I'm the Royal going Conservatory. Going to the Royal Conservatory. But you had no other connections to Toronto? No. No, no family here? No, I, had, I had a friend, a family friend who lived here. Okay. And she said he can come and stay here for three, the three weeks if he wants. And, you know, just, and, I, and, and if he wants to go, I'd take him to the Royal Conservatory and he can talk to people and get application forms and... But that never happened. I, I said I went the other way and hooked up with these musicians, crazy-ass musicians who went, let's go to this bar. And I went to bars and I'm seeing live music because back home, you don't see live music. On a yeah, okay. Basis. And beyond that, what impressions did you have of Toronto? Like, what was that like to leave the islands and come here for the first time? Well, this is the thing. Um, I had lots of friends. Everybody wanted to go to the States. And back then it was easy, of course, but you had visa and you had family mm. and it was a whole process. But had you left the islands at all? Never. Okay, so no, this never. is your first I, I've time. I've been after. to Venezuela and Guyana, Okay, right? Which is a stone throw from Trinidad. Right. But I came up here and uh, it was easier to come to Canada. You just get, you have somebody would accept you, you know, a visa, nothing. So I thought, let me just come up and check it out. Funk, music, I remember the three weeks I was here, writing my friends going, I went to this bar and the musicians, when they take a break, they just go sit with, with women and next thing they're going home with the babes. I'm going, this is great. <laughs> I, was, I had stories to tell. So after, but th- this is the big thing. After three weeks, I had to go back home, but I wanted to stay. And I had a cousin, a cousin-in-law who was up here and he goes, you know, you're on a chartered flight, but I have a visa MasterCard visa or something. And he goes, if you take this card and buy a plane ticket for two months down the line or three months, 
they would give you and go to, to immigration, try to get extension, and then I can reimburse, I can get my money back from the card, and you're in the country for three months and see what happens. So I went, hey, man, I'll try that. So I did this, Marco. Hey, check this out. They granted me three months extension. Hmm. So I went back to the woman I'm staying at and I go, Claudette, I'm so happy. I got three months. She goes, well, where are you going to stay? <laughs> <laughs> and now my head is thinking, okay, maybe one of my musician friends. Then it hit me. Two years before I came to Canada, this, this, these two white women from Toronto came to Trinidad. And I met them because I was playing. They, has, they went to some party and the guitar player didn't show up. And my buddy calls me, goes, hey, man, you want to do a gig? I go, tell the guy I want $1,000, which was, I've just, just been a, a dickhead. Yeah. You normally get like two, three, four hundred, five hundred dollars $500. Tell him I want to, and he goes, Tony, I really need you, but that's how, and I went, okay, it's nine, and I just play. Then he got, I got him to five, and he goes, okay. I go, okay, I'll do it for five. I go to the gig, and when we were done, my buddy goes, hey, these two white women, man, you have a car? I go, yeah, he goes, can you drive us to this hotel? I went, sure. So we go to the hotel. He takes off with one. And they had adjoining rooms and leaves me with this other one. Older woman living in London, Ontario. And I remember we sat there. And I'm, I'm not even... We drank. Everybody drinks from She had rum and we drinking. I that, The next day I had to go to the beach with my girlfriend and the family. I was just being nice, you know. And this, she's older. I wasn't attracted to her or nothing. And we were talking and drinking. And then she gave me a, a number in an address in London, Ontario. I never used it until wow, you still the, had a friend it. of my family goes, where the hell are you going to stay for three months? I went, hmm. So I called this woman in London, Ontario. And I went, hey, guess what? I'm in Toronto. and no place to stay. So she says, well, you want to come to London? I, you know, I, I have a place. And so she invited me to London, Ontario to live. Okay, so by this time now, you're thinking music is your occupation yes full-time full-time profession making money at it meanwhile when i went to london to live i was so desperate i just wanted to do something i i, I applied to be a cab driver i applied to be a, a hostess in a a, a a bartender or you know in, in bars and i not nobody would have me <laughs> i just everything i tried to do outside music would fail and anytime i went to audition or play with bands i'd just get the gigs so I remember playing just, I just went, this is it. Music, 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 man. It was great. So I'm with a show band. And we, do, we did from a Neil Diamond tribute, a Barry Manilow tribute, Sly and the Family Stones tribute, Blues Brothers. And it was a whole, whole variety of so a show band. They even did a Muppet tribute with Kermit. <laughs> but this is Muppets behind, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and cussing and... Kermit and Miss Piggy all swearing and all, but the people were eating it. So I told the band, look, I wrote a song. I want to write a song for the band. They wouldn't have nothing to do with it. I'm going, come on, guys. You know, I was just, I just was just expressing myself. The other thing I started telling them because we all had to wear suits with combo buns and shit like that. I'm going, I was a rebellious kid, man. I used to tell the rest, because there was a leader of the band, I used to tell the band, I go, Fuck this cummerbund shit, man. <laughs> Don't we like all wear like if if this if it's blue, I wear a suit blue to suit my physique and I'm just like that and everybody's going, bro, they used to call me bro. Bro, you can't do that. You can't do that. And I so I kept my cool. They wouldn't have my song. I used to was writing and playing all the time and writing songs. Then at one point I told them, I'm leaving, man. I'm going back to Toronto. Before this happened, I met a chick in a... Of course. Yeah. I That's met what a girl. happens. <laughs> I met a girl in the States. We, we, every place we went, we were for two weeks. I met this girl, and the first Monday, me and her headed off. We had like a whole two weeks to go, and we and we were like grooving, man. She goes, why don't you leave this freaking band, man? You're too good. And she's bo boosting my ego. And we can we can elope to, to, to New Orleans and go just go crazy. And I'm going, wow, yes. <laughs> Yes, I wanna. I was just—it was just youthful vigor and and ignorance, but just exp adventure. So I didn't tell the band nothing. I'm going. I'm just gonna leave because I feel stifled here. And I'm, so the last the Sunday we played Saturday night, and Sunday she goes, "I'm coming to the hotel at ten o'clock in the morning," and we just take off. 
I got all my shit packed, man. I'm there waiting, 10 o'clock. And she didn't show up. I went, oh, maybe 11. 11, no show. By 4 in the afternoon, I'm going, <laughs> I'm going, what the hell? Come on, man. And I remember even that, I was so, I'm going, okay. She messed with my head. I wrote a song that day. A song about that whole incident. <laughs> we still, we still, we we do a new version of it now. Musical. It's called Why. Why did you lie? Right? Why? 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 Why did you lie? And all this stuff. Right? I decided to write a song about it. I stayed with the band, but I'm still have thoughts of leaving. Then I went months later. I went, guys. I'm going back to. I'm going to Toronto. I want to form my own band. And oh boy, I got shit from them they go, you can't do that man you know it's gonna be hard tough the more i get tough i'm going i'm a t- i'm gonna endure can so I, I ask you what year this would have been this was like 80 83 84 okay I, so i came to toronto and i lived at the hotel isabella 15 bucks a week <laughs> i'm going i'm just i don't care man so, so this people would have me and, and is the jams going on at the Isabel? There was jams there, yeah. I used, this is the other thing. <laughs> you know, Danny Marks. Yeah, yeah. He was like, now I'm at Isabel, you know, wow, I'm listening to blues. Mm-hmm. I never heard the blues really in my life, like especially played live. So I used to go down there with my guitar and Danny would come, hey, son, you play the blues? I'd go, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. And he would never have me up. It never phased me. I'm just uh, sitting down going, I'm stealing all your, this guy's stuff. I'm going, this stuff is only three chords and you got to repeat the thing. I left, she left me this morning for the cows on the farm. I said, she left me this morning for the cows on the farm. And then they put something that rhymes with it. So I used to go to my room and write these blues songs. Come down the next Sunday and Danny, hey son, you play the blues. I go, yeah, yeah. And still say more. After about four Sundays in a row, I, I'm because I'm going home and practicing, and I got confident. I'm going, I couldn't do this, man. So he comes. I used to go, Why is this guy asking me? He sees me here all the time, but I guess whatever. And he comes and he goes, Hey, son, you play the blues. I stood up. I'm born with the blues, man. <laughs> <laughs> I think I scared him. He got me up right away. <laughs> So now I'm on stage playing the blues for the first time in my life, and people are going oh, and dancing and laughing and jumping so and stuff in front of me. thing is like based other than the 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 track that you heard with with uh, Eric Burden. Mm-hmm. It it comes from watching jams at the Isabella. Like it's not like you're listening to Albert King or BB King or anything. Sunhouse, Muddy Waters, none of that stuff. Wow, none of the original guys. I just so went, you just, I just went. got it from Danny Marks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Danny Max taught me the blues, man. Isn't wow. that funny? So I went up and played, and Danny was, I still love him, but I remember playing, and people are going, bam, 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 and he just comes up and holds my guitar in the <laughs> middle of my set and stops me. I go, okay, that's enough, and got me off the stage. I don't know why, <laughs> but I got my fill, and that kind of, then then I started, I'm in Toronto, and I'm going to jams, and all my buddies play, and there was this thing in, in the 80s called the Canadian Black Music Awards. Mm-hmm. Ever heard of it? No. You ever heard of David Bendeth? Yes. Right. He was a guitar player. He used to, Somebody told me, hey, there's this thing called the Canadian Black Music Awards. And they had a poll, and all my friends nominated me as best guitarist. It was me, David Bendeth. They go, this white guy named David Bendeth. He'd been winning it for the last four or five years, and we want to nominate you. So they told me, go to this bar, cut his hideaway, and see and I ended up winning I got I won the best guitarist for the company I went wow and I, by this time I had a little band that I formed called The Menu and I The Menu I went okay it's The Menu and we're playing funk and we're doing some John Lennon songs Rod Stewart and then we did and then t- today's special some hot licks by Jimi Hendrix and we do a half an hour Jimi Hendrix songs Right, so when I won the thing, they go, you got a band? I go, yeah, the band is when we wanted to play a couple of songs. So we got up, and instead of doing the Rod Stewart, we did the Hendrix thing. And this guy was in the audience. He's got a, had an agency, and he goes, man, this was the time when tribute bands was all over the, t- the city, right. the, island, the, the, the country. And he goes, we need a Jimi Hendrix thing. So he goes, learn two hours of Jimi Hendrix, and I guarantee you five grand a week. And I'm going, ah! 
$5,000 a week. <laughs> Marco, I just, I, first of all, back in Trinidad, when I told you I heard the blues, Jimi Hendrix was non-existent. Mm-hmm. Except one time a buddy of mine came with an album and go, man, you got to check this dude out. His name is Jimmy. I took it home. I went, I wanted to kill the guy. I mean, this is bullshit, man. It's loud, out of tune. It was Monterey Pop Festival. Right. And Audis Redding was on the other side. I loved Audis. So I, I borrowed the album. I went, yeah, it's good. I kept it for like two months. That's how you do back home. You borrow albums and listen to And I just couldn't understand this Jimi Hendrix thing. I find that so strange. I really, me too. Now that I, look, now I, listen, now that I think back of it. I just could but and then when I analyzed it, I knew what it was because the songs I was listening to, because he did some really beautiful, he did like The Wind Cries Mary mm-hmm. and Monterey, but it wasn't one that people went, wow, it was just him doing this beautiful, but the wild thing yeah, yeah. and the stuff is like, he's all showing his like eating, playing with his teeth, you, that doesn't transpose and come across on record. Right. So I'm hearing this stuff going, this is like, nah. So I couldn't stand Jimmy Hendrix, but this guy in Toronto goes, learn two hours, and I guarantee you this money. Of course, I realized later that most of the money went for, back then, back, back then you had to pay a company to bring sound and lights and truck and mm-hmm. gas. Most of the money went there, but we still got good money. You were working. Yeah, <laughs> and playing all over the place. So that, that happened, and I, we were this, this Jimi Hendrix band called Fire. We decided to call it fire, and it was amazing. So by this time, I'm going, I kind of got some Jimi Hendrix albums and cassettes, and I'm going, this is cheese. This is easy. Like, sounds like, who knows? That's one jam. Right. I grew up playing in stuff like that. Somebody starts something, and let me go crazy. <laughs> right. In the bass player, Lisa yes, lunch. Yes, in the bass player, go for lunch, and somebody hold down the bass while he comes back and stuff. So that's what so I, when I started listening, I'm going, this shit's easy, man. Then I heard some other ones that you had to learn, and I, I kind of, and with the learning, I went, I'm learning this, this song structure, but as far as soloing, and the song, I'm doing my own thing, because I'm not trying, I, I, I just found myself, I couldn't, I didn't have that in me to learn people's licks I'd get the mood and do my own, th- right. make my own stuff, right? So we did this stuff for a while. It was great. Everybody's going nuts, and I'm going, I'm making a, I'm living, man. Then some people came, Hendrix f- fanatics, go, used to come and give me bootleg videos, stuff mm-hmm. that you never hear and see, and stuff, and go, hey, man, check this shit out. So I went, a couple of times I went home, I went, holy shit, this guy's amazing. That's when I got it. And wow. I went, wow, this man is something else. Hmm. And that's when I started going, hold, oh, this is some tough boots to fill, but I can do it. I saw him burn a guitar, because you can't see that on, on an album. I saw him burn a guitar, I can do that. <laughs> so it was one winter in Toronto. I went to Longa McQuaid. I got, I go, give me, I want to get a cheap Strat copy. And I bought a cheap Strat copy for like 50 bucks. I bought a metal, this is all in my head, bought a metal pickguard. Back then you can buy a metal pickguard, I don't know, for sure. Put it on the guitar and I put it out in the snow. I bought some lighter fluid. <laughs> I went out in the snow. I'm going, I'm, let me try this burning guitar. And I, the guitar is way over like six feet over them, springing. I light a match and going, hey. Then I start burning and... That night we played the Gasworks. Remember the Gasworks? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't tell my band nothing. <laughs> I brought this cheap imitation guitar. And by, back then when I saw Jimmy do the Star Spangled Band, I used to do that too. Then I went, I'm in Canada, man. Let me learn the Canadian National Anthem. And that's how my head works musically. So I learned that. And that night I did all the noises and stuff. And then with, with the guitar. And then I Throw it and then we do wild thing down, down. I put it on the ground, light the fluid, came out. <laughs> I'm sure the gas works must have appreciated yeah, oh, that. They were f- everybody was freaking. I we just did a gig last last week at the rock pile, and I saw this cat there, and he's going, Man, I saw you at the gas works, the best show I saw. You burned the guitar, and he's going, Oh, <laughs> so yeah, that was my thing. Okay, Canadian so National Anthem and was that ever a disadvantage to now, you know, to, to have established yourself somewhat as a Hendrix clone and then you're trying to get your own band up and running yep it happened 
it was almost just only two years into it, I just decided, man, because some other people would come up to me and go, everybody's going, wow, man, you're Jimmy's son, and blah, blah, blah. I'm going, okay, all right. <laughs> but some people would come and go, leave Jimmy alone. Yeah. Write your own stuff. And they were all this kind of biker-looking guys, serious. I'm going, what the? F okay, man. So I started thinking, I got it. And people would come to me. The thing that made me kind of get out of it is people can go, I never liked Jimi Hendrix, but I heard you do it, and I'm going to go buy all his albums. And I'm going, what the hell's in it for me, man? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so was that a concern in, in terms of, I mean, did you think I need to do my own thing? Like, or were you just so into Hendrix that I don't even know? If no, I wasn't. So into I wasn't it. into it. I just thought this is like a stepping stone. It's right. a good like way to get myself my foot in the door, right. and I can branch out and do my thing. And, and the songs I was writing was so away, you know, from Hendrix. It wasn't like Hendrix type stuff. No, but at I all. Think, but I mean, even when you first re released your first album, I think there was a Hendrix feel to it or some some I of mean it. I don't know if it's because of the past relationship that people automatically thought well it, influenced you know what it was I think Marco it was wild crazy guitar yeah you know and as soon as you see a black guy playing wild crazy a strat everybody's going hand I used to I used to get up on stage and go if you guys see a white big fat white guy playing acoustic do you all do you say Elvis I used to yeah you just I used to taunt people I, I started getting brave and so yeah, I, I got this Jimi Hendrix tagged. I got this tag, and it wasn't cool because real friends of mine who used to, I just saw a buddy of mine lives in, out in St. Catharines. He goes, you remember when I brought you to the jam and you came and, and you were the Hendrix guy? And he goes, you don't sound nothing like Jimmy. That's what he told me. I go, thanks, because <laughs> I ain't trying to be. Yeah, yeah. I was just doing whatever I had to do, right, and getting whatever. So I was, the songs I wrote, then I, I started going, let me, because I'm a songwriter, man. Let me let me bask, dive, dwell in some Hendrix, and I kind of write some Hendrix stuff. It wasn't really no, no. It wasn't close. To, I I never thought I hit a mark with Hendrix writing stuff like him. You know, like I I started. I had a management company, and they said, you know, like do blues rock. So and I listened to blues, and I'm going from Danny Max, <laughs> who taught me the blues. I'm going. All this stuff is a tung to tung to tung to tung to tung to tung to and then go to the other tung to I went, I know enough that instead of tung to tung on the bass, dress it up. I mean tung to tung to tick pack and do the same three chords with nice bass and stuff because that's what I used to do with the steel band stuff. Instead of playing the regular formulated thing, I make everything play playful. So that's most of my blues songs were like that and Instead of the boom, 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 which is good. I, you know, I, I did some cover songs with that groove, but I never wrote a song like that. I always go, I'm gonna just dress it up and make it nice and stuff. So my blues, and then there was some other stuff that kind of Hendrixy sounding. The weird thing with that is like I never tried to do be like that, but then David Bowie heard a song on my first CD called Midnight Blues, and. He thought it was Hendrix. <laughs> that's what he told me. I'm going, no, <laughs> no. But that's what his thing. And if David Boy, so he got me to come and play on his album. What was that like? It was, well, check this out, man. The day we were, we had, we were supposed to go to the Diamond Club and do a video rehearsal for the next day. And we were, we were working on the second album at the time. I'm up in the studio. And it's, I was so sick, coughing, nose running. But I'm going, no, don't stop. They go, Tony, you want to go home? No, let's do it. And then after a while, I went, I have to. If we, I got to go to the Diamond in, at 4 o'clock. It's 1 o'clock now. I'm, I'm dying here, guys. So I went home. I'm driving home, coughing. And two words came to my mind. Strange, modern. I'm sick. I'm still writing songs in my head. I'm going, this is cool, strange. This is, this is powerful. What can I write? So I'm coming home with... This sounds like something David Bowie would say. Strange, modern, you know, with his big voice. So I went home, went to bed for like two hours, thinking strange, modern, man. David Bowie kind of influenced. I got up like 3.30. The thing is at 4 o'clock, I got up at 3.30. I'm late already. <laughs> so I'm going, strange, modern is in my head. I turned the TV on, much music. David Bowie's on. I went, Wow. This is an omen, something, this is a signal. So now I'm leaving late for the gig, 
and I'm walking down. As soon as I lock in my door, the phone rings, and I go, I can't, I shan't answer the phone. <laughs> I really shan't. I'm walking down the, the the lobby, and I'm still hearing my phone. He didn't have. I didn't have an answering machine then, so I'm hearing this. So I went, look, you're late. Just go answer the damn phone. <laughs> I pick up the phone. My manager goes, David Bowie wants to meet you. He's coming to time. I went, I know. And <laughs> but then I went, really? My first thought was to tell him I know, but I didn't do that. Has this happened to you before? Has that? Have you had that, that kind premonition of, kind of thing? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It, it happens, man. It happens all the time. And the thing about it is not freak out, but be excited because mm -hmm. you want it more. It has happened a few times. That was the, the that was a real big one. Well, that is a big. That's one. a big one. So he, yeah, David Bowie and I went. I went and met him and stuff, and he's saying, man. I bought your album. I heard this stuff. I was in Montreal. He was with Tin Machine. And he invited us down to his show at uh, Masonic Temple. One of the things I use it on my promo stuff now is David Bowie's talking about me and saying, you know, it's a, it's a li lyric, lyrical lilting take of Hendrix. That's how he, he mm -hmm. described it. And you can't get away. I can't get away from it because it's that kind of makeup stuff on the spot that's... The more you, I've done it so much, it's, I can do it. It's really good. Why do you think that is? Do you think it's just all the hours that you've put into jamming and playing? That, and that's part of it. The other part is I've been... I tell people this as a joke, but there's some belief. They go, how long have you been playing guitar? I go, I've been in the womb, man. It's in my mama's womb, man. <laughs> And I found this chord. It was my umbilical chord, man. This is, this is some fantasy thing. I This could be a good video. <laughs> and I went, yeah, I started playing with my gums and stuff, man. But I think, I don't know, from from being a kid and the Springer's Ball, when my mom was pregnant and all that stuff, and I was in there just listening, hearing music. And I came out just into it, you know? And it that just happened to me because... I'm telling you, I think I'm one that got away because I used to be back home blown away by my friends too. Mm -hmm. And we were blowing each other's minds. The whole thing was everybody back then blow people's minds, right? I remember I couldn't even, I was just practicing and getting, re realized I had a good ear and I couldn't, but I wanted to develop my fingers to the max so they can do whatever I wanted. And one of the things that creative practices I developed was I, I got a cassette, I made a, a rhythm track of Carlos Santana Evil Ways I just made the longest cassette I'm just playing that thing and when it was done I rewind it I went I'm just gonna practice and solo all over that this is after the music and, and, and the house with music this is just me alone I was doing other things and I would just practice and do stuff and then at one point I went my little finger I play with this band Friends that I told you the, 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 there was this Afro-Caribbean band the drummer played with Harry Belafonte, George Benson. Wow. I know I'm playing with these guys. And he goes, hey, you're good, man, but you never use a little finger. I go, <laughs> who the hell uses a little finger? He goes, this guy named George Benson? He uses all his fingers. And I went, really? <laughs> so this color, this evil ways, I, this, I decided put a rubber band on my first two fingers and they're out. And all I'm doing for like four hours is playing with my ring finger and my little finger just to get them developed hmm. and I would do that and not, not playing anything crazy crazy just I want them to play and get them disciplined whatever I want them to play and go ting 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 and just play stuff and I did that for a long time and then sometimes after I take the rubber bands off of theirs I can see them they're, they're like almost like they're singing reunited <laughs> and, and they're, they're happy and I'm playing with all my fingers I used to be like I used to be am amusing myself <laughs> with this stuff. Look at how these freaking things are just going. Oh. So I was just a musical kind of cat like that. <laughs> so Midnight on. Blues did very well for you, did it not? Like that first album, I mean, it, it, it came out with a bang and it got some attention. Yeah. And it then did really well. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a time when things were happening. That was amazing. Then the second album two was even better I thought the first man with Midnight Blues Love Crazy was the name of it it was raw the second by the second one we decided to get a little more 
mature. Right. The, the first one was more playful, really more playful, and and you know just like that. The second one was really good songs, really good sound, well produced. Then they wanted me to do. I signed. A, I was at Warner, and they wanted me to do like it was a three three song contract, and three I, album, three album contract. Yeah, three albums. And um, the third album, I wanted to get a different producer because I was working with Arnold Lanny from Frozen Ghosts and mm -hmm. all that stuff. And he was good, but he was like just too like a mean school teacher. You could, I mean, I just I wanted to venture out and get, and they wouldn't. My management, they were all working together. It was like a whole parasol, Anna Lani's studio. My management, one of the guys was his brother, and everything is with. And I went, guys, we do a third album. But I met this guy, this producer named Terry Brown, and this guy make me feel. I'm in mean, the studio. I felt like a million dollars. How this guy make me? I want to do an album with him, and I go, no, you can't. It's got to be with Arnold. Hmm. Go, come on guys and it so was Terry also has it, had he I presume he had done the Rush albums by this time he was yes. established name right I, I met Terry working with you remember Kenny McLean no no he used to play with Platinum Blonde oh, okay. he was a friend of ours unfortunately passed away a few years ago but uh, he did an album with, and Terry we had me play guitar on some of the songs Terry Brown was, was the guy who produced it and boy, this guy, I'm in the studio, and this guy's wow, and he's dancing, and Tony, do that again, that's great. And he's, I just felt, and you know, electrified. And that's what you want, because the albums I did with Arnold, oh my God, it was stressful, real stressful, but I came up to the, I just went to the plate and go, this, is this how it's supposed to be? Somebody over your back going, fuck, that's just the worst thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Do it again, and then the hours and hours and hours and hours of drilling, and then go, okay, play it with some feeling now. And me, I going, fuck you, man. That's, that was my first reaction, but I went, I can do that. Don't worry. He, he, he made, I had this drummer who was a tough guy. He made him cry. <laughs> the drummer, he made him, the drummer cry. The bass player was pissed off at him. Me, I was pissed. I mean, it, it came to a point. There was a song on the first album called Shutdown. When I wrote this song, I remember I was sitting home. I'm always sitting home. When, when I came to Canada, my thing was sit with a TV on and mute and just playing, practicing. If I see something interesting, un, unmute. And I'm watching Pee-wee's, Pee-wee Herman, Pee-wee's Player's Adventure. And there's this beautiful girl and I'm playing my guitar. And I'm going, what? And he's running through the jungle. I went, what is going on here? And she, she's running, and he's, he's running through the jungle. Gina! Gina! Gina. So I went, that's cool. Gina. I started writing a song. Gina, have you seen her? And I started writing this song. And I went, this is how I am, right? So I, this is one of the songs on the first album. I took it to Arnold. This is Arnold's mentality. What the hell is this? You have a song called Yvonne. <laughs> you have Mean Mama. You have Betsy Lou. What the hell is this Gina shit, man? And that's how he is. He's like a mean guy. You wouldn't go, you wouldn't, there's no strategy on trying to, he's just go. And I, that's, I knew how to deal with that. I went, hey, Arnold, it's just a woman's song. It's just a name. And he's fighting me and I'm playing with him. I'm going, you know, one of these days I want to write an album with all women's <laughs> names because you know me, I'm a woman kind of guy, man. <laughs> And he wasn't seeing the sense of humor. So he's going, that's bullshit, man. We can't put that. So I went, no problem. I went home that night, changed Gina into shut down. Ding, ding, ding. Same music. Spellbound. Blinded by the light. And just, I made a song. Brought it back the next day. He goes, oh, that's it, man. That's my, that's how I am. So it was tough with Arnold, but I came up and I'm telling mm. you, there was, I was, there was days we went trying to get a sound. But, but I think, you know, it's a tough thing to do an album, right? I mean, there's no doubt about it. it and there's is, obviously different really producers who a, work. It's not a piece of cake. Different ways, It's right? not a piece of cake so. at all. But, you know, uh, you try to make it as... Because you want playful, and you... I know I'm a playful, I, I, you know? And mm -hmm. Although I, I, I stood up to the plate, I knew... I, and you always Artists always say this. You can do better when you listen to the album. I wish I'd done that. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, I'm proud of the first two albums we did. And uh, so anyway, what happened with that, that was um, they wouldn't let me leave. I went, I'm not doing a third album. 
and we got out of the Warner contract stuff. And that happened. So now I'm kind of on my own, moseying around, you know, while tea's frazzled to a point, but it ain't keeping me down. Because what do you mean frazzled to a point? Well, there was no, we still had gigs as wild tea in the spirit, but right. the management, that whole thing fell through. I was kind of on my own, just right, gigging right. around town. Then I went to Chicago. These people bought the, the rights from Warner for a while, and they, they brought me to Chicago to just go, come down, we get you a band, we tour and stuff. So I went there for a year, put me up in a one-bedroom, furnished one-bedroom suite, and it was life was good, man. I, I opened for Deep Purple, who was a couple other bands, Ingrid Malmsteen. So... You had this big record contract, but oftentimes that might not seem as big as or as good as it seems, right? Because mm-hmm. oftentimes so much money goes into it, so you come out in debt more so than anything mm-hmm. else. But was it a good experience or you not? You know what? I tell you, the first album we did, The Love Crazy, I, I was getting money on it still. I, I We paid or we recouped. Everything was, you nice. know, we paid them off. For Can whatever. I ask yeah. how many units you might have sold or do you have any idea? I, I forgot. I wasn't. I mean, okay. I, never, I wasn't into the management thing. I have it. I heard it, and I, I just never cataloged it. <clears throat> but it was all done. Well, if you're getting money for I'm it, getting that's money good. from it, and, and all the songs are still mine. Oh, and mine good and deal. Arnold, because this was the other thing too. Ah, this is the thing. Arnold, he was all business oriented. I was just a mere musician, really mm. from Trinidad. Never, I wasn't really into the business as much as I am now. But back then, he would the songs like. Shut down. I went home and fixed it up, so that was my song. Right. There was other song, Midnight Blues. The guy was a genius, too. Right? That's why I used to really go, wow, I could work with this guy. He took, he, he put some stuff in, and then after that album, we, we went and reassessed it and honestly went, okay, yeah, you put 15% in the air, and I get the 85, and then we did, and we, then some songs, he would go and, this is how he is. This guy, what's this jazz shit, man? It wasn't even. A, it was a bluesy song called Two of a Kind." Pum 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 pum. That kind of groove. Yeah. He's going. What's this jazz shit, man? It's supposed to be like. Oh, no, let's tell me. So he went. I don't want nothing to do with that. <laughs> That's how this guy is. So that song, I got all the rights for it, which is good. Hundred percent me. By the second album, he wouldn't even be talk to me like a friend. He go. Just tell my management tell his management to tell me, Arnold says he's not touching anything unless everything's 50-50. Wow. I'm going, okay then, no problem. I want to get by, man. So we did that. Then the next thing, you know, and it was just it was just too much hassle. So the second album, we're still owing some monies. Yeah. And the songs, I can't, they have the publishing and stuff. I, I don't have any oh, they rights have the publishing. for that stuff. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, the first one I got published and all the stuff for the others. So how does that make you feel about the record industry? It's a, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a drag that it's like that. But if musicians get knowledgeable and and learn and you know learn the the, the ropes, mm-hmm. everything would be easier because they always pull the world over musicians' heads and go, you know, we can make you this and you dramatize and you think you're gonna be this star and stuff. Meanwhile, they're sucking the blood out of you. Well, right? I think that the, the thing that most people don't realize is there's so many different layers. I mean, you have to learn how to play the guitar. You've got to be able to write the songs. You've got to be able to sing. You've got to be able to play live. And then you've got to know the business. Mm-hmm. And then you have to know how to book yourself. And mm-hmm. It's a whole bunch of stuff. But yeah. it ain't, it, it's doable. That's it's the whole thing. Doable. Because lots of people go, well, you know, because the, the thing that makes it seem undoable is that when management types come in, they think, yeah, I we have we. This is our thing. We can do this. You don't have to worry. You do that other thing. Those other things, all right. the good things that you do, and we can do our thing. And the drag is with that now. Then they sign a contract because they talk you into shit, and then they get twenty percent or whatever the hell you make, and then they get your record deal for two hundred thousand dollars, whatever, and they get twenty percent of that. Mm-hmm. Off the top, that's theirs. You got to recoup. Well, <laughs> you but, got to go and work your ass off to yeah. get back the money, and then start getting some sales and stuff. So that management thing, when I saw that happen, I went, "This is what if this is a ripoff." But if you get good management, yeah, and I think that's good the key, management, right? you're really laughing. Yeah, 
remember when I was in the States with this, with this, and America is, when I was there, like the, the, the company that brought me down, they went, what? You want to get a management company? I went, yeah, I want a manager. And they go, who do you have in mind? I remember seeing this show of the police mm -hmm. and Stuart Copeland's brother, his yeah, name yeah. is Miles. Yeah. I saw this guy and went, what the hell? That is a great, that guy. They show him on the phone going, hey, he's standing up for his band and he's like, and I told them, that's the guy I want to manage. These guys were connected. They got a hold of him. We almost got him, but he was going, you know, my plate's full and I'm taking a little break from this stuff. And that was my intention to go big yeah. or go home. Well, so. I just think there's, a, there's this, this thing of bands who really make it have to have good management. There's no doubt about it's it. That's true. And, yeah. and you can't go to a certain level without decent representation. Mm -hmm. And then, but getting to that level was very difficult. You know, it's so true. It's, it's true. Well, the, the the state I'm at now, it's like we've been doing all right. You know, I ain't chasing no thing and thing, but management. We I've been managing myself, me and my bass player, because we had to, and all all other managers were. We just didn't get a good feeling, right? And we decided to book ourselves. We've been going to Europe for the last ten years. We like big time over there, right? And doing good, and we tour Canada and stuff, and. That's okay. I'm still writing. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm, my writing is becoming even so much better. Today I got up and I had this vision of this song. This is one of the things I learned from Arnold. Take one of my songs and turn it around. And suddenly I'm going, that ain't even my song. But when you write a song, sometimes you get in a, in a, in a box. Yeah. And it's hard to see outside. And, and I learned, today I got up and I went, what is this? I'm going to do an album and call it a lesson in arranging or produced production and show them because I have songs that are the same song this and the other side of the same it's a whole different song and that's a good thing to, to, to teach sure. musicians or the world or people who want to learn and go you can actually change the whole thing because so that was my that's a venture I also have a venture when I worked with you guys with the acoustic thing mm -hmm. to do an acoustic album so I got my my hands in a few different things to just get by see what happens you know try to, i still got making it on my mind i haven't given up what's making it though making I mean, how it do you measure well that to me i've made it right. to me i'm happy i'm making money i ain't i ain't no millionaire but i ain't i was never i grew up with this stuff i was like okay by the time i'm 20 i gotta play this cn and all i know i've met people i used to do jams around the city i used to look at guys and go why it's good to have dreams and stuff, but come on, guys. <laughs> go by the time if I'm played Maple Leaf Garden, by the time I'm 22, I'm done, and I'll go. Oh, mm -hmm. so they come to my jam and go. How old are I go? Like 30. They go. Oh, I'm trying to make me feel bad. I'm going. I am not like that. So but for me, I've made it in my life as a point. I'm happy. I'm healthy. Life's good. I'm doing what I want to do. And have been for a long time. Yeah. Which it's is pretty been a amazing. While, I mean. Yeah. So, but I'm still chasing. I wouldn't say chasing, but I'm still constantly writing and evolving, and looking for opportunities. Right. That's the main thing. Looking for opportunities, and I'm still. If if some good management comes around, that manager, that I'm happy. I'm still open for manage somebody to do that thing. Mm -hmm. It'd be really cool. You're still very positive. Very very positive. I mean, it sounds like you're writing all the time. Yeah. Like, this. I, I need to wrap this up, but but mm -hmm. is there, um, do you ever feel like, you know, not that you're limited because of Wild Tea or because of the Hendrix thing or whatever, but do you ever feel like there's so much more to what you do as a player that you can't really show all that off because you can only release so many records or whatever? Mm -hmm. Is that ever a limitation? I mean, yeah, it, it really is. It's a drag, man. I've thought about that because, as I say, like like you say, I'm writing all the time. And I always think that where there's a will, there's a way. So I, ca I can't not write. Mm -hmm. So I'm just doing it and still being positive and hoping for the best. Hope that if I can get outlets and stuff. I mean, I, it's, it's but it doesn't get me down because, as I say, I'm creating, which is what I love to do. And really, there's I've learned so much. Like as I told you, like even how to take a song and make it, a, make it a, do a 180, 360 on it, and make it a whole diff. So I've learned all that stuff, and performing, singing is easier now. And 
I got so much more to offer and hopefully somewhere down the line I can get to reach more ma- the more masses of people. You know, I haven't, I haven't kept that. My eye is still on the prize. Mm-hmm. You know, I hope, I really hope I can connect and make connections and get people to really go, what the, yeah. And, but Toronto is, Canada is so... I find people don't take, like to take much chances. Well, I think music in really. general is difficult now. It's you know? really difficult now. Yeah. It's, it's, it's I mean, things have now. changed. And the, the best way is to just, I mean, for me, as I say, management is a, is a, a main concern. Really, somebody that would go out and slug and flog and do yeah. whatever and stuff. But in the meanwhile, just find outlets, Facebook, whatever, you know, what, any, as many outlets as you can to promote yourself. Self-promotion is the big thing now. And, and I, I mean, I remember five, eight years ago, somebody was telling me, oh, nobody's making CDs anymore. And they're trying to tell me, make these little things and this USB stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we go on the road, Marco, <laughs> we sell because yeah. of the performance. And people go, holy shit, man. So see, we, we, we do well selling product. Right. But I still want to get to the more more people well I know you're a very well respected guitar player and people yes, speak very you. highly of you I've had a chance to work with you a little bit and, and I can attest to that and I appreciate it's it it's been a real pleasure getting to know you a little mm-hmm. bit thank you so much for taking thank this time thank you so much for having me Michael and good luck thanks, thanks.